Well, we stand to show reverence for the Word of God. So would you pull out that little red book in the pew in front of you and let's stand together. If you're visiting with us, after we're done reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. If you believe it's true, you say thanks be to God. We're going to open up to uh, Song of Songs this morning, page 544. Yeah, you get to read it in church. Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read this lover's song aloud together. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Upon my bed at night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The sentinels found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the wild does, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just did never will. Hi, I'm Jason, and this is my wife, Jen, and this is our baby, Jonathan. One of my favorite things about Jason is that he was with me as a friend during a time when I was completely rebelling against the Lord, completely making bad choices. In my first semester of college, I started dating. I dated someone um, I think it was the, one of the very first guys I dated, and we went out on a couple dates, and one of those dates, um, we went hiking. And um, though it was practically in our in my backyard, um, we got to the end of the hike in a pretty secluded place, and he, um, he raped me, um, which was really hard. Um, I don't know if I, I took that experience and I was trying to push it towards something else and trying to make something good out of it um, or trying to force my way into a good relationship, but I ended up going out with a number of different guys who um, the relationships themselves were not healthy. Some of the guys themselves were not healthy. I obviously wasn't healthy either trying to deal with the situation without telling anyone about it. Um, But pretty much I had a string of relationships with boyfriends that um, we slept together on a regular basis. So I came to a point where I said, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with men anymore. I don't want to look to them anymore. Um, And I kind of wrote them off. I said, fine, I'll just live my life and be okay. Lo and behold, a few months later, Jason, who had been there the whole time, all of a sudden popped up on my radar screen. And I said, you know, he's kind of cute. He's he's a, he's a kind of a catch. <laughs> and I've been friends with him for all these years. How did, how did I miss this? We started dating, and uh, a lot of these issues came up with Jen on her past. And I, I, know, I knew that I wanted to eventually marry her, and I knew that this would, in a way, at least get in our our way of having a better relationship. So I, I talked to Jen and asked her if she would consider seeing a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. even though I knew that was going to be really hard. And uh, honestly, I didn't think she was going to go for it, but she, 
she uh, I was really proud of her. She did. I know that was really tough, but yeah, he did it. It was probably one of the best decisions I've made as far as our relationship is concerned. And after you know a period of time, we we were able to look at each other and know that yes, this all happened. Yes, I can't erase it, but ultimately, you know what? That's that's something God's working out in our lives, and He's given us each other in the meantime. As our college students are returning to uh, L.A. this month, one out of five college women will be raped during their time. And the vast majority, I think it's upward of 90% of them, by their friends, someone that they know. You know, what society will not tell you is just how much pain comes from sex out of context. Now, the health departments and college psychologists at various universities are beginning to notice a troubling trend in the last few years that depression among college students is spiking up. A 2005 survey showed that 90% of health services at universities report an increase of students with serious psychological diseases. Consultation hours have doubled. 91% have hospitalized a student for psychological reasons. More than 36% of these health centers have experienced one or more suicides. Here at UCLA, uh, on our own doorstep, a woman by the name of Miriam Grossman is a campus psychologist, and she's been noticing these studies. She's been not only noticing the studies, but just talking with the students who are coming through her door and sharing such uh, stories of brokenness and depression and cutting and wondering what is going on. She is connecting the dots to sex outside of context. And she writes this book called Unprotected, in which she attempts to tell you what society will not tell you. She has to be careful about that because it's so incorrect politically that she publishes the book as Anonymous M.D. And it wasn't until several months later that was, she was revealed that she was the author of this book. She asked the question, why is it that counseling services for university students will eagerly tell you about the risks of smoking and help you stop smoking? They'll tell you about the risks of a sedentary lifestyle and they'll help you get exercise. But for her, Columbia University is pretty typical. If you go to their health services, if you go to their website, Ask Alice, you don't find anything that suggests that maybe it would be a good idea to dial back a little bit of the sex out of context. No, in fact, there, you're going to find advice on um, sex toys, bestiality, etiquette for swinging, phone sex, Autoerotic asphyxiation. Thanks for the help, Alice. You know, will somebody tell us the truth? That's the plea for this book. And uh, Dr. Anonymous tells in this story about a woman named Olivia, one of the first clients. We should begin to notice this correlation. Olivia is a freshman, valedictorian of her high school, desired to be a med student, came in having a bulimia, Vomiting six times a day, severe depression. Connects this back to her first sexual experience in college. A very, unfortunately, short relationship. And this is what Olivia says to her. When it ended, it hurt so much, she said weeping. 
I think about him all the time. And I haven't been going to one of my classes because he'll be there. And I can't handle seeing him. I was so unprepared for this. Why, doctor, she asked. Why do they tell you how to protect your body from herpes and pregnancy, but they don't tell you what it does to your heart? A study recently of 6,500 adolescents, teenagers, was done in the United States. They compared those who are sexually active to those who are not. Those who are sexually active have a rate of depression that's three times higher than those who are not. Three times higher the rate of sexual active people, uh, adolescents, will try to commit suicide. For boys, it's eight times higher. Now, I don't think this tells us something just about teenagers. I think they do this study among teenagers because you've got to start that young if you want any kind of a significant population to study people that haven't had sex yet, right? I mean, soon we'll be doing these studies with elementary kids. Tell us the truth, Dr. Anonymous writes. She says, instead of offering platitudes, tell the freshman or sophomore who has turned to you about oxytocin. Tocin. Have you heard about oxytocin? Recent studies are showing that, uh, you know, when a woman uh, gives birth, that there's a hormone that's released in her body to facilitate the opening of the uterus. There's a hormone that begins lactation. It's called oxytocin. It's a chemical response in your body. When she's sexually active, oxytocin is stimulated. Whether it's a one-night stand or her husband, something physically happens to her that imprints her on that man, that makes her, it stimulates this uh, tend and befriend reflex that you've heard about. But nobody tells you about oxytocin. She says, describe the hidden epidemic of STDs and the dangers of casual liaisons, even with latex. Suggest that she wait and find the intimacy she really wants, the kind that's meaningful and lasting. Care for her according to her needs without the false notions of a modern ideology. Be a real feminist. But then again, maybe you want to keep your job. Lawrence Summers, ex-president of Harvard, suggested the minds of men and women may be different. That's how he became ex-president. She just begs for honesty, begs for some truth. Not a lot of truth out there about sex. We celebrate sex, right, outside of context. For us, it's a mark of freedom. Not a lot of talk about the pain. Not a lot of talk about the slavery. Well, actually, that's not what I'm here to talk about this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about something, not that society doesn't talk about, but that the church doesn't talk about. You've probably heard that the church has a prohibition on sex outside of marriage. But what the church doesn't talk about is what do you do with the pain of living without the context for sex? What do you do with the yearning to be sexually active when the church says to you, no? That's a painful place to live, isn't it? In 1968, movies started being designated with that X, that prohibition. You know, it says that this movie is meant for Adults, the children, not the right context because of violence or sexuality. Well, there's an X in sex. There's a prohibition. I learned this. I was a cocky young Christian in college, a student, and I thought I knew everything, and I still do. I, I, was, uh, I, was, you'd say I was a closet Christian. I was not willing to come out and own Christ publicly. 
Uh, and I think the only way that God would have gotten me to date a Christian girlfriend uh, was accidentally, which he did. I mean, I had a number of female relationships. But I ended up in one with a woman who was also a closet Christian. And we didn't know this until we busted each other sneaking out to our respective small groups. You know, the alibis began to wear thin <laughs> after a while. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in a Christian relationship. God help me. <laughs> what are the rules? You know? So I immediately, I went to my small group leader who is a junior. And I, and I said, you know, the Bible doesn't really say anything about sex outside of marriage. So, you know, how far can I, you know, go? What do you think? And he, he's a very nice guy and generous. You know, he puts his arm around me. He says, George, do you have a Bible? Let's take a look, you know. So we open it up, and he, opened, he turns to several passages. One I remember clear. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. You know, couldn't be clearer. Right? It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. George, you know what fornication means? No, but I know I don't do it, right? You know? <laughs> Sounds nasty, you know. Well, you know, fornication is is, is a fifty-cent word for sex outside of marriage. You know, sexual activity of any kind out of marriage. The word in Greek is porne. You know, you're familiar with it. It Just means something that's illicit, inappropriate, given the teachings of Jesus Christ. So there's an X in sex. There's a prohibition. There's a big fat no. But what if you're not married? What then? The U.S. Census recently showed us that few of you young adults today will marry before you're age 27. Some of you are going, oh, God, I'm 28. But I think that's a national survey. <laughs> In Los Angeles, it's probably even higher. And one-fifth of you will never marry at all. It's one thing to tell a teenager once you wait a few years. But what about when you're an adult? Or what about if you're divorced? What if you're all, you know, down the road in life and you're, you're widowed? What if you're engaged, you're heading towards marriage? What if you already know that right person with whom you'll be husband and wife? What if you're in your 60s and your 70s and because of family reasons or estate planning just wouldn't make sense for you to get married, but you're, you're faithful and you're committed to that one person. It's like you're married, right? No. It's a big fat No. Why would Jesus give us a no? Well, unless he had a bigger yes. That's what I want to look at with you this morning. The bigger yes. You know, it's hard not to be sexually active. Uh, There was a story about a young priest who was invited to the home of a senior priest. Living in a nice house, actually. had a housekeeper, and they were sitting there at the dining room table, and in comes the housekeeper, and the elder priest can, he kind of notices that the young priest's eye has been caught by this stunningly beautiful woman as she comes in. And the elder priest says, I, you know, son, I know what you're, you're thinking here. I assure you that our relationship is purely professional. A couple of weeks uh, go by after that dinner, and uh, the, the housekeeper comes to the senior priest and says to him, you know, ever since that young priest dined with us, I have not been able to find the uh, gravy ladle. Do you know where it is? No, I don't. So he writes off a letter to the young priest. He says, Dear brother, I'm not saying that you stole the gravy ladle, and I'm I'm not saying that you didn't steal the gravy ladle, but we're wondering where it is. And the priest writes back to the father, a very polite note. He says, Dear father, 
I'm not saying that you do sleep with your housekeeper, and I'm not saying that you don't sleep with your housekeeper, but if you had been in your bed since I left, you would have found the gravy ladle. (laughs) Martin Luther. Martin Luther was brutally honest about the heroes of the faith. We commend them and we love their piety, but do you know, they also, like us, struggle with their sexuality. It takes a salty tongue like Luther's to tell it like it was. Luther says, sitting around the table with his students, when he was quite old, Augustine still complained about nocturnal pollutions. I love that phrase. He's not, not talking about a bad bowl of chili. He's talking about wet dreams. The great Saint Augustine. When he was goaded by desire, Jerome beat his breast with stones, but was unable to drive the girl out of his heart. Francis made snowballs, and Benedict lay down on thorns. Bernard macerated his harassed body until it stank horribly. And then he tells a story to his students about a time when he was a monk back in the monastery, when so many of the brothers had wet dreams that they couldn't celebrate the Mass. Listen, he says, almost every night the brothers were bothered by them, so that they didn't dare celebrate the Mass the next day. But when a large number of masses that had been imposed on us and appointed for us had to be omitted on account of our refusal, it became public. And the prior conceded that anybody at all could and should celebrate mass, even if he had had nocturnal pollutions. Phew, says Luther, the ministry can go on, right? Well, Freud was right. Uh, Actually, Freud wasn't really right, but he wasn't a moron. Um, And I realize the best I can hope for in life is to be the reverse um, he said that there's something profoundly powerful deep in the human identity, right at the, the soul of who we are, that's sexual, that yearns for intimacy, that will out whether you want it or not. It's coming out. We're sexual persons. Why would God say no? I want to read to you the letter that uh, one of our partner ministries received one by one. From an anonymous sexual struggler. This is what he writes. Dear church, I'm in such pain. I just had to write something to someone because there's no one to call at this hour in the middle of the night. Don't think poorly of me because I'm learning to lean on God and because sometimes I need arms to hold me. Even God said it's not good that man be alone. I like what I've learned from the Bible, even though it's hard to accept some things. But I need more. I I need to see Jesus modeled by the church. I need men in my life who will love me where I'm at, who are willing and able to spend time with me. I need men to show me examples of what a healthy relationship between men looks like. Not just an hour a week at Sunday school, but in real life. Do you, dear church, want to know the real reason I stumble into pornography and gay sin? It is for one reason. I am starved for relationship, for friendship, for touch. But I'm afraid to ask and to be told no again. Oh, church, do you want to crucify the homosexual or save him? If you want to save him, here I am, and I'm asking to be saved. I'm asking you to be Christ's arms and ears, to hold me and let me cry, to let me know Jesus does care about me, that even though I feel rejected and broken and alone, at least someone does care. Or maybe it's just easier to throw the first stone. Some days I would thank you for throwing that stone.
the pain would end. It's a deep yearning in the human soul for intimacy. What do you do with it? What do you do with it when you can't satisfy it righteously? I want to invite you to pull that Bible back out. Let's look at the Song of Songs. Song of Songs, chapter 3. You know that this is a beautiful, erotic bit of poetry right in the heart of the Bible. But you may not know that in the heart of the heart of the poem is a poem for people who cannot have sex. That portrays the yearning that goes unanswered. Chapter 2 concludes with this kind of dialogue between the bride and the groom, Solomon and the Shulamite, back and forth, the the choir, the chorus sings, enters into that conversation. They talk to each other, they sing to each other, but there's a shift at the beginning of chapter 3. Now, all of a sudden, she, the woman, is alone. She's not speaking to him, you anymore, but of him, him, third person. She's on her bed at night. She seeks him, whom my soul loves, she says. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. There she lies, and now we go into what seems to be a kind of a dream sequence. Check this out. I will rise now and go about the city. In those first four verses, she uses the phrase, him whom my soul loves. Kind of an interesting way to to talk about your lover, isn't it? In those first four verses, there are three verbs that are repeated, each of them four times. You'd notice this if you were reading in Hebrew. Seek, love, find. Seek, love, find. She looks for her beloved. She goes wandering, circulating, perambulating through the city streets and squares. She cannot find him in her imagination as she dreams. She comes upon these sentinels, these guards, these keepers or watchers. Some scholars say these are the authority figures, the keepers of the law, the, the, her, the protectors of her virginity. You know, they're there. Have, they, have you found him whom my soul loves? No. They have not found, they answer. After she passes them a short distance, we see in verse 4, she finds him. She seizes him, takes her to herself, will not let him go. Says then, she takes him to her mother's house, into the chamber of her that conceived me. Now that could be that we're asked to visualize her mother's house, her mother's bedroom where she was conceived. I think not. You read the poetry and the imagery of Song of Songs, you realize her mother's house is her womb. She takes this man deep inside of her, very physically and passionately. And right at the heat of that climax, we get verse 5. Wow. Verse 5 is a refrain that comes up three, other to- three times in Song of Songs, chapter 2 and chapter 8. Here she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. To adjure here means I bind you by oath. I make you make a promise. Do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Do not awaken love until it's ready. Well, there are three suggestions in this text for the yearning heart. The first one is this. Desire arises in the soul, not in the body. Desire arises in the soul, not in the flesh. The second, that love is physical. It's physical. Even though it's spiritual, it is physical. And third, that fulfillment will come, but in its time. Fulfillment will come, 
but in its time. I want to take a look at these three suggestions and extend them in some more practical ways, following the advice of the Apostle Paul. You know that as the gospel comes into Corinth, it comes into a very salty place, a sexualized culture. You know, down there by the harbor, the docks, you know, the guys get the juices flowing. Out there at the, the temple prostitution, there's a lot of sex there, not unlike Los Angeles. They are bearing the scars of that history, even as the good news is preached among them, as it is with, for us. And so the Apostle Paul, if you want to open up to uh, 1 Corinthians, it would be a good place. I'd ask you to sort of camp there for a few minutes. Page 929 in your pew Bible, first looking at 1 Corinthians 7. Okay, so Charlie comes out of the bookstore on San Vincenti Avenue. You know, he's standing there having a perfectly fine day. He's comfortable within his body, feels good, the sun is shining. He's off to his next errand. And all of a sudden, there's a little flash of color in his peripheral vision. And his day dramatically changes. In an instant, he's aroused. He sees a beautiful woman. You know, his his toes start to curl. His spine starts to tingle. He begins to hyperventilate. You know, he's sweating. His, his shaved head, the, air, the hair is standing on end. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. So we say, Charlie, freeze. Let's just take a second and think about what's going on. Charlie's having a physiological response to a stimulus, a visual stimulus. We can create those conditions in a laboratory with a probe that's stuck, an electroprobe in the right place. So there's something very physical happening. But Charlie, I want you to think about whether that physical experience is not diagnostic of something deeper in your life. Something we call the soul. There is a soul that loves. It's the soul who longs for my lover. The problem with sex is not that it doesn't work, it's that it does work. It's that it does what it's designed to do every time it's done. God designed sex not for the body, but for the soul. This idea that I can have friends with benefits is so dangerous. This idea that my body can be there, but the most precious part of me can be somewhere else. I can hold it in reserve and bring it back at will. One young man on his condom has a little post-it note, toss the bitch. A lot of love in that encounter. The soul. C.S. Lewis says, you know, you can't undertake sex without a spiritual transformation, whether you realize it or not. He says the truth is that whenever, wherever a man lies with a woman there, whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. So the first signpost here, seek devotion. That is to say, seek an integration of your body and your soul that's devoted to the one who does love your soul. That's Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he, uh, he says in verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God. One having one kind, another different kind. What is he talking about there? He's talking about marriage. He's saying some people are married, some people are not. I happen to be not. Apostle Paul was not married. He says, I wish everyone were like I were. Now, some people call this the gift of singleness. And I tell you what, when I read this verse as a young adult, this just terrorized me. I thought, I do not want the gift of singleness, all right? You give that to somebody else. Thanks. It's a great gift. The, gift. the word gifts, like spiritual gifts, it's a charisma. It's a grace. It's strength. 
and power. What Paul is saying is that some people are married and that's a gift to them. Some people are single and that's a gift to them. And God will meet you in that singleness. He will hold your soul in a way that he doesn't in another situation. Proverbs 6 says, it's a warning to men. He says, can fire be carried in the bosom without burning one's clothes? Do not ignore the soul. Seek devotion. In your singleness, you have a greater opportunity to be devoted to Jesus Christ. The second signpost is love the body. We notice here that her the consummation of her love with the one whom her son loves is very physical. She seizes his body and pulls him into her. Love is physical. And probably the opposite error of thinking love is just physical is to think it's just spiritual and that it's not physical. That's not, the tr- that's not true. God, as Mark Brewer reminds us, loves this stuff. He's given us a physical body. Woody Allen says, hey, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with somebody I love. You know? <laughs> That's true. You know, masturbation and lust oftentimes flares up for people when they're driving hard through life. They've got a high-stress job. They've got a high-paced life. And you know what? They do not have time for friends. And so here's a visceral, immediate grab at intimacy, a mirage. But we think it satisfies. We reach out really quickly. Get this done in 45 seconds and get on with business, right? There's a loneliness and an isolation. We need friends. We need to be loved physically. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That is, you are a body part in this community called the church. Don't think of yourselves as single. That's what the world calls you. You're not single. Not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a member of a family. You're a member of a body. You have friends. You are connected physically. You're not single. Don't accept that designation. Paul doesn't use it. He says, I wish that they could become as I am. One sad woman came once to a pastor to complain that her husband could not reach climax without a picture, pornographic picture on the pillow next to her head. Now, I can't think of three more lonely people in the world. Yeah, there's sexual intimacy. But think of that woman whose picture has been taken and she never, never gets to enjoy the benefits of her nakedness and unashamedness with anybody who sees it. Think of the man who has so lost the human reality of, of his wife, he cannot even see her and must see a stranger to be aroused. And think of the woman who is so victimized by his sexual sin, that there she lay helpless. No, we need to be loved physically. We need friends. We need to get out of the self into love. Love the body. Learn relational skill. Be intimate with friends. I want to encourage you to get into a small group for six weeks. We're going to do these small groups, as I already mentioned. You'll need that if you're not in one already. Take time for friends. In the midst of temptation, the most important instrument is the telephone. Pick it up and call and say, how you doing? Chat with me. You know, reconnect relationally with your friends. Seek devotion, love the body. The third and final signpost is find his way. Find his way. The chorus of this hymn of yearning is an assurance that love will have its time. 
There will be a moment for you when it will be right to awaken the greatest fires of passion in your heart. He's going to lead you there. God led the Israelites through the wilderness, and Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 10. Just flip to our final passage in 1 Corinthians. Verse 13. He's told them about the temptations the Israelites faced to to pull back from God and say, God, we don't believe you know what you're doing. We don't think you've got the best in mind for us. And God grieving, saying, follow me. Find my way. Paul writes... No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. So he's saying, first of all, you're not alone when you encounter sexual sin, temptation. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. I'm talking about chastity this morning. It's a spiritual discipline. You go, oh, that's legalism. You're not saved by being chaste. Oh, that's true. You're not saved by going to the health club either, are you? But it makes you stronger. So you go. Guess what? Chastity will make you stronger. In the midst of the temptation, you and I are promised right here that God will give us the strength we need if we'll look to Him. And facing that discipline, we will be stronger. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 says, Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who've been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb that is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Do we not need sexual healing? I tell you what. I remember when Ann and I were dating. uh, Actually, it was really before we were dating. The 49ers and the Bengals were playing in the uh, Super Bowl. Ann's from Cincinnati. She had a queue of, of suitors that were backed up. I'll tell you what was most uh, erotic, really, about Anna. She was called to the Lord, and I knew it. She was going on a missionary trip, studied Russia. She was going to the Iron Curtain. And I knew I just had a matter of months before she was going to be gone forever. So I said, okay, if the Bengals win the, the Super Bowl, you know, you go on your missionary project. If the 49ers win, you come on a summer project, a mission trip with me. And uh, Lord knows the rest is history. <clears throat> but I tell you why I tell you that story It's because if you do want to get married and you want to marry someone who is devoted to Jesus Christ as you are, you don't want to complicate the communication process between you and God. You want to be listening to him. And the best way you can do that is to face the temptation to give in sexually and find his way. That's the best thing you can do because he'll be close with you. You'll be listening to him. He'll lead you into that relationship. Well, friends, a thousand years after this woman had this dream and this poem was written, there was another woman who wandered in real life around the city. Yeah, she had searched the city for the one whom her soul loves also. She'd gone from man to man. She was known only as a sinner in the city. One day as she wandered about, she found her way at a home. Who knows how or exactly why she went into the room. It was the home of a man who was a moral authority, a keeper of orthodoxy, a fine, upstanding citizen. And that man looked at this woman and scorned her. 
There was another man in that room by the name of Jesus. And this keeper of orthodoxy said, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman she is. My friend, Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was. And he knew that he had for her grace. Somehow looking in his eyes, she knew that he knew that as well. She began to cry, caught herself by surprise. The tears went on Jesus' feet. Embarrassed, she leans over and dries his feet with her hair and kisses him. Jesus says to this woman, My daughter, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Jesus is in this room today as well. He invites you likewise to look into his eyes and know that you have been forgiven. He doesn't care what your past is. He doesn't care what you did last night. He's here so that you know you have been forgiven. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. All the old stuff has passed away and all the new stuff has come. This could be a very important morning for you. I want to encourage you to open your life up to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to seek Him in your sexuality, to transfer that yearning to Him this morning. I want to share a couple of examples of people that have decided to do that. Full-blooded men who love women and hope to be married to a couple of them someday. They're a little bit embarrassed to tell you this story, but they want you to know there is a greater yes behind that no. Let's watch this. Gentlemen, why are you here? It's a very good question. Um, Why are we here? We're not yeah. having sex till we're married. <laughs> That's it. He said it. Is it hot in here? <laughs> the better question is, why are we nervous about it? Which is strange, because that's God's plan. Like, that's biblical. And yet we're like, I don't know, should we talk about it or not? And I'm nervous about it. And what are people going to think? And whatever, whatever. But it's funny. I mean, within within relationship, having choosing to date Christian women, it's it's been a good thing and a healthy thing. And that um, we want to encourage each other towards. Sure. For me, the decision came, um, I was... Raised in a Christian home and knew kind of the like standard Christian like things, but at some point I became an adult who dated and was interested in things that God says no <laughs> to um, before you're married, and uh, obviously, and yeah. so for me it's funny because that the desire to remain chaste um, and and wait until I was married actually came after the desire and the choice that I wanted to have a Christian wife and a Christian family. And if that was the case, then I needed to date and wanted to date Christian women. The reaction to that decision um, has been great from the people that I've dated, but there's been, there's been, I've been laughed at dude. Uh, I will tell you right now that people have like, I've laughed at you. Yeah. I think you a couple times. Yeah. Which, um, thank you. It's a decision that I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard decision, but it's also one that makes things, easier too it makes life a little less complicated um and i think that's what god teaches us certain things and he teaches it to us because it's for our own benefit and if god's word says for us to remain pure then i have to take that at face value as well and say then that's the best thing if god if you've designed sex for marriage then that's the way it's designed that's the way it's going to be best and that's the way it's going to be healthiest and that's the way it's going to be most fun and so if his, other, if his other statements in his word are true, then I have to take that one to be true as well. And 
So I'm gonna wait. And when I get married, <laughs> hee haw. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw, Chris and Fuchi, thank you for that. Well, listen, you, um, I want to take one more minute here with this. Uh, you know that we have from time to time had married couples come up here and renew their wedding vows. I want to give you a chance, uh, if you're single, to do something similar. Because, you know, the majority of our church, uh, we're single. You know? So if you're single, if you're not married, if you're uh, divorced or widowed, place where you can't righteously have sex, you know what? We, we need to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to thank you for your courage and, and cheer you on. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're in that. If you want to be prayed for this morning and you be willing to let us do that and you're a single person, would you please stand this morning and let us... And, and if you're around those people and you want to... If you feel comfortable putting a hand on their back... That's most of us. It is. Uh, f- feel free to do so or extend a hand. Let's ask God to give these strength. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we see now in a mirror dimly, but we know that our destiny is perfect love. You have pursued us from heaven. You've given your own Son to embrace us, to seize us, and pull us into your heart. Thank you for the courage of these men and women who stand right now. Give them gift. Give them grace that those of us who are married know nothing about. Meet them in the secret depths of their soul. Give them strength to pursue you. And grant that we be the kinds of friends and community that will care for them, pray for them, be intimate with them, and love them with a great affection. We pray that if there's anyone this morning to whom you're speaking particularly about a decision that they need to make to move towards chastity, We pray you would solidify that in their minds right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.